0: This is God's word from Revelation chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps, of God in their hands, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked in the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came seven angels with seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today to look at an interesting passage from Revelation chapter 15. As we are uh, expecting the... Uh, bowls of your wrath to be poured out in Revelation chapter 16. Pray that you would prepare our hearts for an important passage. Uh, May the words of my mouth speak uh, the words of your scripture. May you soften the hearts of those who do not believe, and to those who believe, may they be encouraged, exhorted, uh, built up. May your word go forth with strength. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, and welcome to Christ Church Bellingham. Our passage today is Revelation chapter 15. And if you remember last week, Pastor Matt preached on the topic of martyrdom. Martyrdom from the end of chapter 14. And in that passage, you see that the saints of God have been martyred. And you might expect at this point for the Lord to finally pour out the seven bowls of his wrath on those who martyred the saints. that's actually not what happens in this passage. Today, we have before us seven angels with seven plagues, and they're going to pour out God's wrath on those who martyred God's people, but that's in chapter 16. Today's passage is really a passage of anticipation, right? It's like that scene from the two towers that many of you probably know in, in the film where Saruman's army is about to lay siege to Helms deep and there's that scene it's dark it's raining and it's quiet and everybody's nervous but instead of his army standing against the good guys we have the martyrs who have conquered by their own blood standing by a sea of glass waiting in antip- anticipation but they're not just waiting they're singing they're singing of the mighty deeds of God. And so our topic for today is evangelism. And evangelism is ultimately the work of proclaiming or announcing or heralding or singing the good news of Jesus Christ. Evangelism is, the proclama- is proclaiming the work that God has done and the work that he will do. Jesus Christ came in the past to save sinners He will come again to judge the wicked and vindicate his saints. And this is what evangelism is. It's speaking about this thing. So I want to share two things from today's text about evangelism. First, effective evangelism happens in light of how we live. Effective evangelism happens in light of how we live. And then second, effective evangelism happens in light of what we speak. Effective evangelism happens in light of what we speak. Effective evangelism happens in light of how we live. The first way evangelism happens in light of how we live is through how we suffer. Through how we suffer. Look down at verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And what John has in view here are those saints who had been martyred at the end of chapter 14, and he describes those martyrs as those who have conquered the beast. And if you think about the history of conquering, how has it always been done? In the history of the world, the way that conquering has always happened is through the power of Of military might, and as humans, I think at times we think there could be no other way. Right? For many of us in our own lives, at times, feel as though the only way we can get what we want is by taking it. But the way of Jesus has never been that way. The way Jesus got what He wanted, the way He redeemed His people from sin, death, and Satan, is not by the power of military might. It was not through the power of a manipulative or unkind word. The way Jesus got what he wanted, his church, is by leaving the glory of heaven, by taking on human flesh to die a demeaning death naked on a cross. And that didn't change after the resurrection. In church history, the way the gospel is spread is primarily as a result of persecution and martyrdom, and so also with us. It is unlikely that any of us will ever be put to the sword for our faith, but all of us have been given the opportunity to suffer. Some of you may know the name Kara Tippetts. Kara Tippets was the wife of a pastor in our denomination who died about eight years ago. She had a really popular blog called Mundane Faithfulness, And if you aren't aware, she was in her mid-30s, and she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And it became very apparent to her and to her doctors that she was not going to survive. The treatment would not succeed. And then right around that time, there was another woman named Brittany Maynard. Brittany Maynard was a woman uh, who also had cancer. She had an aggressive brain tumor. And she was not a Christian, and she moved to Oregon in order to receive legal physician-assisted suicide. And both of these women were dying of cancer right around the same, the same time. But at some point in the midst of her own suffering, Kara Tippetts chose to wrote a letter to Brittany. And I'd like to read you a portion of that letter. She says this, Dear Brittany, this morning my best friend and I read your story. My heart aches for you, and I'm simply grieved by your terminal brain tumor. For the less than six months the doctors gave you, you just passed your 29th birthday. With a heavy heart, I left my home and headed for my oncologist. I, too, am dying. Brittany, I love you, and I'm sorry you are dying. I am sorry that we are both being asked to walk a road that feels simply impossible to walk. When we trust Jesus to be the carrier, protector, redeemer of our hearts, death is no longer dying. My heart longs for you to know this truth, this love, this forever living. And then soon after that, uh, Kara Tippetts died, and her story was published on the Washington Post. There was a documentary posted on YouTube, which I recommend you watch. But can you imagine especially if you watch the documentary, if she had not suffered so beautifully, thousands of people would not have heard of the love of Christ that she proclaimed. And so let me ask you this. In what ways, in what ways are you suffering? I don't think I need to give examples. While I think it is good and right to ask God to remove those pains, it's also good to pray that if he does not, He would help you suffer for the sake of the cross. And and I'll tell you this there are non Christians in Bellingham who are afraid of death. And we have the opportunity to show them that death is not something you have to fear if you are in Jesus. Effective evangelism begins with how you suffer. The second way effective evangelism happens is in light of how how we live, is the way in which we resist pressure for cultural idolatry. And again, I get this from chapter 15, verse 2. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hand. And the beast, if you remember, is in part a representative of those cultural idolatries and false worship that were taking place in the first century. And if you think back to the first century, what were some of the idolatries which the church felt drawn to? Certainly on the one hand, a return to the old Mosaic system. On the other hand, there were other pressures for cultural idolatry. Around this time, uh, the book of 1 Peter was written And it was written to Christians experiencing persecution. And 1 Peter 4 says this. The time that has passed suffices for for doing what the Gentiles, that is unbelievers, want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In other words, both the book of First Peter, as well as Revelation, seem to argue that there is a sense in which holy lives, resisting idolatry, divides believer from unbeliever. Right, think about those words. They're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, there's your opportunity for evangelism. I I can think of times in my own life where not participating in certain things with coworkers or friends has left people asking, why? I've heard many stories of people whose conversion began with something like, man, those Christians are really weird, they live strange lives. Holy lives often convict sinners, and this can manifest in both curiosity as well as anger, but both are an opportunity for evangelism. So I would encourage you to ask yourself, does my life look different from the lives of my unbelieving neighbor? How do I respond when people speak ill of me? How do I speak about my enemies? How do I speak about particular groups of people when they're not around. Effective evangelism begins with a holy life. Effective evangelism begins with how we live, how we suffer, and how we resist cultural pressures for idolatry. The second thing this passage teaches us about evangelism is that evangelism happens in light of what we speak. And there's three aspects of our speech I want to focus on. First... Speech about who you are, speech about who God is, and speech about what God has done. Speech about who you are. One important aspect of understanding the book of Revelation is seeing all the Exodus imagery in it. Right? It's rich with imagery and references to God freeing the people of Israel from Egypt in the Old Testament. And one of those images comes from verse 2 where it says this, John saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And then again it says they were standing by the sea of glass. And I think the imagery, what this is pointing to in the Old Testament, is how God saved his people from Egypt by passing them through a Red Sea. And he washed over them in a pillar of fire as they passed through the Red Sea. And that's Exodus chapter 14. In fact, the very waters that were used to judge Israel sorry, deliver Israel from Egypt, were used to judge Egypt, but not all of Egypt. Many Egyptians went with the Jews and were spared. And not just that, it also alludes to God-saving people, the people of Israel, from exile in Babylon. right? After he redeemed Israel, he judged Babylon. But what does this have to do with evangelism? Who we are and what we say. Here's what. What God did with Israel, He is also doing with you. In the same way that God saved even some Egyptians from the waters of the Red Sea by placing them with the people of Israel, God is saving some unbelievers by placing Christians in their life. That's how He's always done it. God saved Israel from slavery in Egypt. God saved you from slavery to sin. Do you talk about what God has redeemed you from? And then just a brief aside, maybe you're not a Christian here, but let me tell you something. God exists. It's no accident that you walked into the doors of this church. Maybe you were dragged here by a family member or a friend. Maybe you came because you were curious, but regardless of why, I can say that it is no accident you are here. Consider that even now the Lord is calling you to repent of your sins, to believe in him, and to be baptized. Anyways, what has God redeemed you from? Another way people will often put this is, what is your story? And it's not just the radical stories that can have an impact like Kara Tippett's. All salvation is miraculous. If you were a Christian, your conversion was miraculous. The second way effective evangelism happens is through our speech. Through our speech is when we speak of who God is. Look down at the uh, Song of Moses in verses 3 and 4. The words which which the martyred saints were singing, they said this. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord. God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the Nations." Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Notice how the saints in the passage are declaring the truth about who God is. And what words to say in a culture that doubts and denies the goodness of God. Uh, just last week, I was at jiu-jitsu. If you don't know already, I do jiu-jitsu. Um, but anyways, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he knows I'm a Christian, and I don't remember the context, but he said something to the effect of, if only God hadn't created cancer. See, he doubts the goodness of God. And I said to him, God didn't create cancer. God is good. Sometimes as Christians, we can feel tempted to dumb down the truths about God's character in order to make him more palatable to the non-Christian. Other times, we doubt—we ourselves doubt his goodness. But the God of the scriptures does not need to change in order to be worthy of our love. We need to be changed in order to love him. And this leads into my final sub-point on how effective evangelism happens in light of how we speak, and that's effective evangelism happens when we speak about God, what God has done in history. And this is really the heart of evangelism. If we're not doing this, we are not evangelizing. Many of you know the quote attributed to uh, St. Francis of Assisi. I don't know that he actually said this, but it has been said that he said this. He says, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And it's good that he cares about how we live, but I think that this is a common mistake that we can make. The gospel is not something you do. The gospel is actually a message about something that has been done for you. Right? The gospel is Jesus taking on human flesh for your sake, living, dying, rising, ascending into heaven, Do you believe this? And then look down at verse eight. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And this is an image, as one commentator puts it, he puts it this way. The spirit fills the prophetic church to give courageous witness against the land and against the nations, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We cannot change our hearts let alone the hearts of others. It is the Spirit, ultimately, who testifies to the goodness of God in Jesus Christ. The Spirit exalts the Son, but he does so through the church. In order to communicate the love of God, we need the presence of God in the church and in our lives. He sent the Spirit so that we would not be without God's presence, and so the only way to have meaningful impact in evangelism is through the presence of God in your life, because evangelism is ultimately God's work, not ours. And until the church is committed to prayer, asking that the Spirit of God would empower us to speak to lost people, we cannot succeed in our mission. We will succeed, but not without the power of the Spirit. And I'll just conclude with this quote from Tim Keller, Um, On this subject, he says this, prayer for gospel movements must be kingdom-centered, extraordinary, united, and prevailing. We are not just praying about your needs and the needs of your family, as important as those are. Kingdom-centered prayer is when you're asking God to come down to advance the kingdom for his presence and his glory to be seen in your city." You do not have gospel movement without God's presence. And it is so easy for us to make the people of Bellingham or Whatcom County into our enemy. Right? If you think back to Kira Tippett's letter to Brittany Maynard, what made her words so powerful? I think in part, what made her words powerful is the love that she felt as she wrote those words to a woman who was dying. And if you want to speak effectively to people, you need the power of the Spirit, but you also need the fruit of the Spirit. You need compassion and kindness for your neighbor. All of us, without exception, are on a train towards death. But believers are on a very different track than the unbeliever. And so may God stir compassion in our hearts. All of us were at one point equally as in need of the grace of God, and we indeed still are, So if I could leave you with one action item, I don't like to end on action items, um, but we will this week. My hope is that each of us in response to the love which we have received from Christ would seek to share that love with others. And so my exhortation really to you, whether you are a child or a teenager, an adult or a senior, is that you would pray that God would empower you to speak the truth in love, but also that he would provide you the opportunity to speak the love of Christ to your neighbor. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the mercy of your word that you have not left us in our misery and in our sin, but that you have uh, saved us and redeemed us from slavery to sin. I ask that you would empower all of us by your spirit to speak the truth and love to those who need to hear it and also to speak the truth and love to ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.